30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard I first heard of neurolinguistic programming in Robert Anton Wilson's classic book, Prometheus Rising. Much like the 1970s itself, Wilson's work was a sprawling synthesis of the many disparate chords the 1960s had struck, with Wilson playfully seeking coherent patterns in the cacophony of dozens of psychedelic ideologies. Mixed in with ideas from the Buddha, Aleister Crowley, Tim Leary, and Alfred Kozybski were sly references to NLP, a strange psychology that seemed to blend therapy, magic, and CIA interrogation techniques into one all-powerful system. Or at least, that's the reputation that preceded it. Developed by Richard Bandler and John Grinder in Santa Cruz during the 1970s, NLP grew out of the same post-psychedelic milieu that gave rise to the Human Potential Movement, the Esalon Institute, Group Encounter Therapy, and various New Age cults. Bandler and Grinder were interested in the meta-model underlying successful therapist work and sought ways to codify and explain it so it could be emulated by students. As the self-help 70s gave way to the me-first 80s, Bandler and Grinder split acrimoniously, and NLP evolved with the times to focus on peak performance, sales mastery, and the various dark arts of persuasion, popularized by gurus like Tony Robbins. When I first looked into NLP, I felt a disconnect between the fascinating ideas concerning language, hypnosis, and the unconscious, and the more far-fetched claims that seemed to promote manipulation and mastery over others. That's why I was so delighted to discover the NLP Center of New York. Run by therapists and partners Rachel Hott and Stephen Leeds, the Institute's approach to NLP is centered in a gentle, open curiosity, tracing all of NLP and hypnosis myriad techniques back to a simple philosophy of embracing not knowing and exploring what's possible beyond our own preconceived patterns. My guest today, Stephen Leeds, has studied NLP and Ericksonian hypnosis for over 35 years and run the NLP Center alongside his wife since 1986. He is the co-author of NLP, A Changing Perspective, and was my teacher in the art of Ericksonian hypnosis, which has become a fundamental element of my wizardry. So whether you already know all about NLP or don't know anything at all, I invite you to embrace your own not knowing and begin to wonder how to do NLP. Hello, Stephen. Welcome to Ritual Space. It's good to be here. Well, um, welcome to you, too. <laughs> What's our magic word going to be? I think uh, transformation. Transformation. One, two, three. Transformation. transformation. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Now, why transformation? Well, that was the word that came up. Yeah. Um, uh, why it came up? I don't know. Um, but it's, I like the way it sounds. Um, it has a resonance to it. Um, it's maybe similar to change, but, you know, change is kind of ordinary transformation. It's a little more magical. Has, yeah. And it has to do not with the content, but the form. 
It's mm. transformation. Mm-hmm. So you're you're shifting uh, not the content of what's happening, but how you're perceiving the content. And there are many ways of perceiving what is. So it's uh, it's it has this quality of uh, I wonder, I wonder how things can, how I can look at things from a different different in a different way. Yeah, changing perspective and yeah, yeah. And there's also trans transformation as one of the old Bandler Grindler books, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So let's just get into it. What is NLP? Um, it is about transformation. Uh, the the standard definition is uh, it's a model of communication and change, uh, both uh, communication with yourself and communication with others. So uh, which we're doing all the time. And uh, I'd say that we're all um, operating in certain habitual patterns and, um, and we don't know it. Um, so a lot of NLP is, is awareness, awareness of how we do what we do. Becoming aware of those patterns that we're engaged in. Yeah, and particularly becoming aware of the patterns in a non-critical way, in a non-judgmental way. To be able to step back from yourself and say, "Hmm, that's interesting." So that's how I do it. Um, I wonder how else I, I can do how else I can do it. So there's there's a there's a there's NLP cannot be done truly without uh, a deep sense of curiosity and wonder. You know, a lot of people might say, uh, "You ask them a question and they don't know," and they go, "I don't know." Um, and other people might go, "I don't know." Yeah. Uh, I wonder. And then that sort of opens the door uh, to um, possibility. It's interesting what you said about um, the non-judgmental awareness, because I think that's a common pattern is people that are stuck in a pattern, some sort of habit or routine or even just the rhythm of their life. And they are agitated by it and they want to get out of it, but then they feel powerless. So it's... Yeah, I mean, even... We, 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 we look at a photograph of ourselves, mm-hmm. uh, often there is a judgment yeah. or we hear a voice on uh, tape and on the, pod, on the podcast yeah. and go, oh, I don't, is that what I sound like? Um, or is it, oh, is that what I sound like? Uh, so there's, there's different ways of observing. So uh, yeah, this idea of a um, curious, even a compassionate observer uh, many of us uh, have not really experienced uh, um, a way of compassionately observing ourselves, which is in its in in of itself a transformation. So, can you give us a little bit of history about how NLP came to be? Uh, well, um, I, I got involved in 1980, and it had already been going on for about f- maybe five, six years when I got into it, um, and the people who developed NLP, Richard Bandler and John Grinder, they already by 1980 had actually split up and uh, went their separate ways. But they basically, as a team that lasted for only a short period of time, they, um, they actually had a goal to um, observe the wizards of the therapeutic community. And uh, Milton Erickson was one of those wizards. Uh, and um, 
So was Fritz Perls, a Gestalt therapy, and Virginia Satir, mm-hmm. who was a family therapist. They, um, they had a way of being around people. And when they, um, and afterwards, something shifted in, in, the, in the person's awareness. Um, they, uh, I mean, Fritz Perls was all about just noticing. Noticing, like when you're eating, noticing the taste. Notice it, really pay attention to what you're eating. Um, so he was the guru of awareness. Um, Milton Erickson was someone who was, who was an MD who learned about trance and uh, for himself and led others into this state of awareness through uh, um, quiet and stillness. So Bandler and Grinder basically started this model of how do people do what they do? How did Erickson put people into trance? So they started from a place of, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, how does he do it? And how does Virginia Satir meet with this whole family? They're fighting among themselves. And by the end of the meeting, they're, they're listening to each other. They're hearing each other. They're um understanding and feeling understood how does it happen they weren't interested in the theory just how how does how does this take place and what is the how what did they find out they like in virginia satir they discovered that when she met with someone who was visual she would use visual words she would say uh you know how how does this appear to you how does it look to you um, I see what you mean. Exactly. Or other people were more kinesthetic and she spoke their language. She said, you know, I'd like to connect with you. How does that feel? Let me bounce some ideas off of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and they it resonated for them. Or other people were very auditory and she was able to pick it up and and Bandler and Grinder noticed. I, I'm a, I don't know if she knew that she was doing that, but she was doing it. And she would, if someone was auditory, she would say, tell me more about that. I hear you. Uh, what else do you want to tell me about this? So they noticed the pattern. And they noticed that this pattern was something that she did automatically without thinking about it. So they unpackaged. Um, and the same thing with Erickson. Mm-hmm. They noticed that he would use a language of presuppositions. So he would say, before you go into trance, and already he was presupposing that it was going to happen. Um, he would even say, I don't know how you're going to go into trance now. And I don't know why you're going to go into trance now. Um, I don't know. Uh, I just don't know. And even though he's saying I don't know, he was not just being ignorant. He actually, on some level, was feeding the client with a suggestion to go into trance. Mm-hmm. The embedded suggestion that it's like the underlined word in the sentence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then how, with, with these disparate pieces, how does it come into practice as a, as a holistic whole? What is the gestalt of, of NLP and how these different ideas work together? Well, um, 
I mean, NLP is based, ha, has itself certain presuppositions, um, you know, one of, one of which is there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Mm. Um, because a lot of people avoid making mistakes. And, uh, and when they do, they feel really bad about it. Uh, if you take on the, this one presupposition, then you begin to look at everything in terms of learning, feedback. I mean, that's what children do when they're younger. Um, without that developed conscious mind, they just learn. They fall, they bump themselves, they cry, they get back up, and eventually they learn how to walk without any help. They don't need anyone holding them, holding their hand. So, but you asked about the, the gestalt. That's a piece. And um, another piece is that we have all the resources. Um, so, you know, the question Erickson might ask is, I wonder what inner, inner resources you will be accessing here in this session that will allow you to make the changes you're here to make. And he presupposed that you have the resources. It's just a matter of identifying them and tapping into them and accessing them. So failing a few times, so you know how to use them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, he, you know, he basically took the attitude. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know when, I don't know why, I don't know how. All I know is that trance is inevitable, that transformation can happen. You know, a lot of people say things like, uh, I can't imagine. That's a very common thing. I, I, can't, I can't imagine it. Well, what would happen if you did? Um, what, will, what, what will happen as you do? Imagine it now. Mm-hmm. Um, take the time. Um, and uh, so NLP, basically the idea is we have the inner resources. Uh, we need to engage and try things out and learn from those experiences. And, and, and as a result, you will grow. Of course, there's also um, and even the presupposition that the future doesn't have to be the same as the past. Mm. Um, for many people, all I know this is the way I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't uh, don't expect more, or I don't expect more. This, you know, I'm a creature of habit, and NLP presupposes that we're not our habits. We have habits, um, and they're habits, mm-hmm. and we learn them, and we can learn to do it in a different way. So uh, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question of the Gestalt because. In some ways, it's like a puzzle. You put together these different pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, and then at some point, you know, the whole puzzle emerges. You see the whole picture. Yeah, it's an interesting way that you, again, the idea of like the people getting trapped in their own patterns and thinking, oh, because this is how it happened before, this is what's going to happen again. Mm. And, and with couples, once they get into a couple pattern, then they, they're almost... They again. They say, oh, "I know what you're going to say." Mm-hmm. Well, and and then when the person says it, to say, "I knew it. I knew that's. I knew that's what you're going to say. I knew that's what you're going to do," and it reinforces the pattern. You force someone to act in accordance with your <laughs> expectations, and then yeah. you're like, "Ha ha! I proved it." <laughs> yeah, self fulfilling prophecies. 
Yeah. And then if you have two of them linked together, it's like you've created a Mobius strip where you're just going round and round in circles. Yes. And what caused what is, uh, are you seeing reality or are you creating reality? Ooh, good question. Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> so when someone is interested in NLP, what what route does that take? Do they go and see a therapist or what is how is this used to help someone um, escape these patterns and bonds? Well, one thing I would not and NL, I would not call NLP a therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, although many therapists uh, utilize it, um, you know, and it's, you know, it's a um, it's a modality. Um, so one, one could go to a coach or a therapist who has experience and has gotten a certification in NLP. Um, one also can go to a training. Uh, the training that we offer and it's been offered, it's offered worldwide mm-hmm. is, um, is a, um, how should, it's, we call it the NLP practitioner, coach practitioner training. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people think, well, I don't want to be a practitioner. I just want to transform myself. So the course is, is for that is, is you can be your own practitioner, your own coach mm-hmm. and being able to learn how to do it yourself as well as how to do it with others. Yeah. And Transform think, yourself and others. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and in some ways, you know, it's really starts with yourself and probably ends with yourself too. It's all about you and it's about how you shift your awareness how you speak. Um, remember this one person was uh, frustrated with people who, and she would say to them, why is it at work? Why do you never have time to help me? You know, why are you always busy? Um, and they would tell her. They would tell her why they're always busy and why they didn't have time. Um, I suggested, instead of asking that question, ask them um, when they'll have time. Mm-hmm. And when she did, she says, it's amazing. People were so friendly and receptive. They gave me some times when they can meet with me. You know, it's like saying to your partner, you know, why, why don't you have time, you know, to listen to me versus when? when? When would be a good time to talk? And it's amazing, you know, how much that um, when you shift your own language, it affects the, the results. We say in NLP, the meaning of our communication is the response we're getting, mm. um, regardless of our intention. So maybe you intended to get that person to listen to you, but if you say to them, you know, why don't you listen to me? Then, and they get defensive. They go, oh, you're getting defensive now, versus basically saying it's important to be, for me to be heard. And uh, I, I really would like you to listen. When would it be a good time? It increases the likelihood you're going to get what you want. So this I, this this notion that it starts with you, that I'm responsible for the results for my communication, um, is an empowering one. Well, it almost seems like, you know, I've noticed this for a long time that just different people have different energies, and you send one person into a, a crowded room, and they're going to have one experience, and then mm-hmm. the other person's going to go in and pick a fight, and the other person's going to go in and get a business deal, and the other person's going to make out with somebody in the corner of the room, <laughs> and you know, it's the same set of circumstances, but it's like 
individual people broadcast on some level the instructions of how they want others to interact with them. And often it seems like that's out of whack with their perception of what they're doing. Yes. So I've known people like that where they're like, oh, this raider is so rude and they always seem to be having problems with the wait yeah, staff. Yeah. And yet they're not aware that they've just been totally dismissive and rude to the waiter from the beginning. So of course the waiter's going to have an attitude. You've basically programmed that into them. It's like when you go online and you, you read some of the reviews on TripAdvisor and everyone's like five stars, five stars. And then there's like, two stars and you wonder you know does this have to do with the um the accommodations or does it have to do with the perception of the person who's coming into it if you click that user are you going to see that they've left two stars on everything (laughs) because they they just tend to have a two-star existence yes yeah exactly how do you think people can add more stars to their existence well i that's a good one first of all um i think it's going back to that awareness of uh, you know how my how how am what's my part you know what's my part in this uh, as opposed to blaming or looking to find fault outside to looking at not finding see the thing about it, it's not finding it's like so for some people it's like they're blaming they're blaming the other or they're blaming themselves and they are not looking at how can I do things differently? Um, how can I look at this differently? How can I look at myself in in that non-judgmental way, identifying a pattern and changing the pattern? Um, if it's not in our awareness, we can change it. But we need. But first of all, starting with um, how can I? How am I the source? How am I contributing? You know, in a, in a relationship, if you have two people who are self-reflective and looking at how my um, what's my part in it you're going to have the relationship will transform because you have two people that are capable of generating change and um, modifying behavior rather than reinforcing those patterns that, that you know are becoming ruts exactly yet all we can do is transform ourselves yeah you know there was there's a book uh, i met the author got the, the, her name it's called it takes one to tango <laughs> and you know if if you're looking at how can i um maybe i can shift my words maybe i can shift my behavior the way i'm looking at the person um but the idea is it's breaking down to what am i doing um uh, in terms of my tone my tempo my volume my gestures, my expressions, they're sending a message. They're signaling something. Um, um, our smile, our frown, our, our turning up um, the corner of our mouth um, or rolling our eyes. All those things we not, may not be aware of, but it's its sending a message. And that's one of the things that I've read in NLP is that there's a lot about not just observing yourself, but observing the other person and taking into account the body posture and even things like what the eyes are doing. Mm -hmm. Um, Are the eye accessing cues uh, still a part of current NLP? Um, Or I wonder if you could speak about that a little bit. Um, I think I think it's been overblown. Yeah. Like I think people say NLP, oh, is that the eye accessing thing? And And for me... The eye accessing is such a small uh, piece 
that um, you know I can do NLP without um, looking at the eyes. Um, the eyes are it's eye accessing cues, indicators, uh, not of what they're saying. Like some people have said, oh, you can tell if someone's lying. Mm-hmm. That's never been part of NLP. Yeah. And uh, but then people will come. Oh, can you tell if someone's lying? Uh, you you can get a sense of whether the person's in a visual mode mm-hmm. or they're in a feeling or they're in an internal dialogue. Uh, but I don't uh, take it as, a, as a, like a lie detector test. Yeah. So then I'm curious as to like an NLP session. Like if, if someone went to go see a coach that was using this, this is just a part of a conversation that's happening. What is the part that it helps someone get out of the pattern? Well, um, one pattern people come in with um, is um, when you ask them what they want, they will tell you exactly what they don't want. Ah. Um, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to get into arguments. I don't want to be disrespectful. Or I don't want my partner to, to talk to me like that. Or I don't want... Um, to be confused. So it's a lot of what they don't want. Um, I mean, can you imagine if uh, you entered the Uber app or the Lyft app and said, uh, this is where I don't want to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's like, uh, you can pick me up here. This Anywhere but Newark. Yes. <laughs> um, so the first step is, well, what do you want instead? And for some people they know, for some people they'll say, oh, that's a good question. Like they've never really asked the question themselves. Um, how do you want to be? How um, how would you like to think about it instead? How would you like to um, feel? How would you like to look? Um, and that's sort of the beginning of a target. A uh, you know where where are you headed? Setting a destination. Yeah. And, and so we don't just sit around talking about what is and talking about what's wrong or what the problem is. Uh, we do, you know, I do talk about if someone says, you know, I, uh, I, I'm scared. Um, I might say, you know, uh, you know, how, how are you frightening yourself? Um, how, how do you do that? How do you um, what are you scared of and how do you how does it frighten you and find out about you know what images they're making in their mind and what are they saying to themselves to have them become aware of how they scare themselves mm. um, you know we do um, or if a person is saying I'm anxious I might I might say well I'm curious how how, how does that happen when does it happen how do you know when to become anxious what triggers it? What uh, um, what what precedes the anxiety? What are you thinking? So we're learning about how you um, create the unwanted feeling, but also and so what do you want instead? If it's not anxiety, what do you want? And uh, um, you know, like with one client, it was more about I want to. Um, I'm not. I'm feeling scared and anxious. Um, I said, "Well, do you know how to comfort yourself?" And she said, "No." 
And because that was really, um, she didn't know. You know, she didn't feel comfortable with her parents. They were not comforting. They were not reassuring. So we couldn't look to that. So we we basically made it up. I said, well, if what what would be some comforting things you would say to yourself or comforting images? And she actually gave me the answer. She started describing to me what would comfort her. And by the end of the session, she was comfortable. She had those resources to self-soothe. She just needed to figure out a way to access them and um, carry them out. Because there, you know, there are certain things that make us uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You know, and and she, you know, she told me that in the past, she, you know, I said, did you ever suck your thumb? So that's a way, that's, that's a way of self-soothing. It's within your control. You know, parents don't often realize they're concerned about how people can, can look at it. But it's a, it's a, it's a self-soothing. And, um, you know, so things will, you know, trigger off our fears and anxieties. At that point, can we comfort ourselves? How do we do that? Um, so that's that was the goal of the session, to find ways of creating comfort and reassuring herself. And I love that, I love that idea of going from the the problematic generalities where someone's saying i'm anxious all the time and that's the state of 100 percent anxiety and i'm trying to get to not anxious ever which was this magical state of zero anxiety yes and instead you're saying well i bet there's plenty of times that you're not anxious so we're actually talking about specific times and so what are the triggers of that when is this coming up when are you experiencing it what is the problem that you're having and then what you're looking to do is in those moments how do you respond to that and how do you soothe that and calm yourself and comfort yourself? And so then you've trained someone to say, you know, you shouldn't have your check engine light on all the time, but when it comes on, that's a good signal for you to go and stop by the the garage and see if you can make a tune up. Exactly. You know, some people will say, I, I can't, I can't comfort myself. Um, and I will ask, is it that you can, or you don't know how? Yeah. And would you like to learn? And if they say, I'm anxious all the time, I might say, all the time? Like you said, it's usually not all or never. And even just saying, all the time? Are there ever times when you're not? Tell me about those. What what happens? What What's your experience? So they start realizing, you know, there are times when um, I'm not anxious and I'm not uh, upset. What am I doing? You know, what's different about those times? It makes me think a little bit of those CSI crime shows when they have the image up and they're like, enhance, enhance, <laughs> and they and they zoom in and then they find that detail that's the thing that really matters, that it's, yeah. you know, yes, there's a problem that we're experiencing at the macro level, but really the roots of it are at a, in a very specific situation and that's more addressable. Yes. And, and when I hear, you know, if I hear someone say, like when we talked about comforting and I said, what would be a comforting voice. She said, I'm okay. I'm all right. And, um, and I heard that and I was curious. I said, um, what if you say you're okay? You're all right. Uh, actually she said, I will be okay. I will be all right. Mm -hmm. And I said, what if you say you will be okay? You will. And, and just speaking to herself, that's just, that's even more comforting. Mm. And then I went from the future, you will be okay, you will, you, you will be all right, to 
you are okay, you are all right. And just hearing that, you know, we say a lot of crazy things to ourselves that make us feel anxious. So why, if it's so powerful, if our voice could create uh, anxiety, um, it's not unreasonable if you find the voice that can create calm and comfort. Why not use that? I mean, um, it's that's an example of creating a new pattern. It's like the the equalizer. It's like your your base is too low, and you're getting all of the the things that you're doing wrong, and all of the things that you need to improve, and mm-hmm. you need to turn up the other end. That's the voice that's saying, "This is a great thing that you've done, and this is going to feel really nice if you do this." And yeah. here's the reason that you're here right now, which can be I think harder to hear. It's a it's a little bit more of a subtle sound for a lot of people. Yes. Yeah. So for the listeners at home that are curious about NLP and would like to bring transformation into their own life, what's a nice little spell that we can give them that they can do to take some of these ideas to heart? Hmm. A spell. Um, well, I would, I would say that, uh, um, you know, coming full circle, when you're in a state of not knowing, um, realizing, notice how you feel about not knowing. Um, are you anxious about not knowing? Are you frustrated with yourself? Are you critical? You know, so because so, usually when we know, um, we're more comfortable with knowing. Um, and I don't favor not knowing over knowing, um, um, but we get to do both. So Advantages my, to both. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, my suggestion is to, to, even if you're not curious, um, to get curious about how, um, you know, to get curious of saying, you know, I wonder, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, uh, I, I'm curious. E- Erickson used to say, you know, well, you know, I don't know how you're going to solve this problem. Um, I wonder how you're going to figure it out. And that voice, you know, he said you have all the resources. Um, Stephen Gilligan, who's one of my teachers, had said to me, uh, um, like had said to me and the group, um, if we have all the resources, why did it take going to Erickson to find the resources? If we already had them, what happened? And Erickson... Um, you know, in his language, um, he was really confident in not knowing, but he was confident that you will find the solution. And that relaxation, that ease opened up a door, opened up the portal to finding the solutions. So, you know, one one thing I would suggest is, uh, you know, so here, here is, I, some people will interpret what I'm saying is, well, you should be curious. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the same as curiosity. And if you're not curious, I, I'd recommend saying I'm not curious. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm frustrated. I'm closed. I'm yeah. not, I'm not, uh, um, but uh, once you realize that, then you realize, well, what would it be like if I were curious right now? And what will it be like when I am curious, um, I, I think being comfortable with not knowing is a really key feature to uh, transformation. Because not knowing leads to questions, and then questions lead to 
looking for more information and then looking for more information is when you get to double click that enhance button and find something cool. Yeah. It's almost like you are, um, there's no, you're, 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 you're not putting the pressure on yourself. You know, for some people, when they say, I don't know, I don't know. They're afraid they're not going to know, or they'll never know. What if I don't know? What if you presuppose it's going to happen and it's just a matter of time? Mm-hmm. Um, and having Erickson used to say, take all the time in the world in the next minute of clock time. Yeah. <laughs> as you know that. Yeah, I love that idea of like, I'm imagining someone saying, I don't know where my keys are. And it's the stressed, heightened thing. And thinking about how that person is going to look in their apartment versus someone going, hmm. I wonder where my keys are and I'm curious how I'm going to find them before I get to this appointment in five minutes. And then you're more methodically looking in the various places that they could be and aren't and slowly, slowly solving that puzzle. And coming, but yeah. And going back to that couple or one person, I know what you're going to say. Well, what if you didn't know? Yeah. What if you're, you're curious and maybe your curiosity will affect what they're going to say. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Stephen. (laughs) You're welcome. For more of Stephen's work, visit nlptraining.com. And for more of this podcast as a ritual, you can visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual, where I don't yet know exactly how we're going to grow the amazing garden of subscriber content But it's beginning to happen bit by bit as we release more bonus episodes and hypnotic downloads into the stream of attention and magic that we're all swimming in together, heading out into that great unknown. I believe in you. Your magic is real.